Welcome to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour, bringing you honest talk, even when it bites. Now on 77 WABC, here are your hosts, Alex Alexanian and Brenda Bush. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Another cold, cold? How can I say cold? Bitter cold out there. My car said nine degrees this morning. Nine degrees. It's 6 a.m. in the East Coast. And you know what's funny, Brenda? 3 a.m. West Coast. I'm getting used to getting up at 3.30 in the morning. Yeah, don't get too used to it. So I think that I'm going to be doing this more often just for fun. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Not. Not happening. Not happening. So here we are. The Dogs in Danger Radio Hour is on. And we talk about the guys that get the least attention in most households, your pets. We talk about them one hour a week. So give us the one hour. It's early in the morning, but we wake you up. Come on, guys. And today we're talking about pet overpopulation. Is it a reality or myth? What do you think, Brenda? Well, you know, we hear it over and over again, right? Million, yeah, we do. Mil- millions of healthy, adoptable cats and dogs killed in shelters every we year. We have some great guests. Because simply not enough homes. So that's what we're going to be well, talking about. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to find that's out about that today. That's what we're going to find out. Yeah. Does it, is it real or is it is it? Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what people hear, right? That's what we're Right. So that's the first thing. And we have some, we have tremendous panel of guests. But before we get into it, we do usually a, a small cover-up. Today it's going to be a short cover of some of the top stories going around. And, and the one I want to focus on a little bit is the New York ACC. That's the New York Animal Control. That's the municipal organization in New York City. And I think it's the largest or the second largest after uh, Los Angeles um, that controls the animals, uh, the shelter system in New York City. Mm-hmm. They had Governed by annual, the Department of Health, we should Yeah, add. it's yeah. municipal. Mm-hmm. It's governed by tax dollars. Mm-hmm. It's, it's your organization, guys, you listeners, um, voters. Anyway, they had their annual... Meeting board meeting board meeting this mm-hmm. week that this happens only once a year and uh, it was funny because um, uh, this year the animal advocates were able to push them into videotaping it uh, the meeting itself and actually you can find a, a link directly on our website to that videotape and the last well, they time have a this few happened, videotapes up now yeah they actually have m- most of the most of the meeting I think is up now so the last time this happened uh, you know the the old bunker mentality of New York ACC. They uh, prohibited anybody from videotaping it. I think I think the advocates went to court and succeeded. So we have a, a tape. Well, I'm not sure they went it. to court, but they did argue their position that they should oh, be allowed. They should be allowed to to videotape it, which they did. So so now we uh, all of New Yorkers, uh, you know, um, have the opportunity to participate in that meeting, even if they couldn't go, which was a Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning when a lot of people are at work. So. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing about it, I want to mention about New York ACC, I'm going to get off the subject. Um, you know, we run a website called dogsindanger.com that, show, you know, that basically highlights dogs that uh, only have X number of days left to live in the nation's shelters. And I remember a meeting that I had with Charlene Pedroli, who was the uh, prior director of New York ACC, um, regarding their participation in dogsindanger.com. And yeah, we I had will several never, meetings. Several meetings, but I will never forget the last meeting when Charlene, she's no longer there. Charlene looked at me straight in my eyes and said to me, the reason we don't want to participate in Dogs in Danger is because it's bad publicity for us. It makes us look like we're killers. I'll, I'll never wow. forget that. I get, we can do a whole show on stupefied. that, and we are going to do a whole show dedicated to New York ACC, and we're going to invite um, uh, you know, the new director, volunteers, the new director, anyone from the board that wants to participate. Uh, we'll do another show on that. The date hasn't been scheduled yet, but, but we are going to do that. Just, just uh, uh, for the, the listeners to know, according to the ACC website, during the last five-year period, 69,856, right? 69,856 animals died in the last five years at ACC. So wake up, New York. we got a lot to talk about. 
Anyway, so let's move on. I've got a little piece of research that I want to share with you guys. This came over to Wires, and I thought it was fascinating, so I got to talk about it. The University of California at Davis just did a study, okay? And here's, here's some bad news. Okay, we only talk about the good stuff about dogs. This is the bad news about dog. Apparently, keeping a dog in your bed is not cool. Why? Well, first of all, the study, first of all, says that more than half of the cats and dogs in this country sleep in the beds of their owners. Right. Okay, so which That's is a, a lot tremendous of dogs number. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, mine don't, just for the record. Right. And, That's my choice. And neither does but mine. But a lot of people do let their pets sleep in their beds with them. A lot of people do. More than half. More than half. Which is an amazing number. So what this study was about was what happens when a dog or a cat sleeps well, it with says, you. Well, it says bed sharing, kissing, or licking between humans and pets puts people at risk. Exactly. And one of the th- risks that you have is the bubonic plague. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doubting Obviously, the study. If you're I'm not doubting the study, but seriously, how many cases of bubonic plague in have US. resulted as a result of sleeping with your pets? I don't know, but it's there. And somebody I, from the I CDC called us. I am only the reporter, but, my friend. Yeah. I don't know. Um, anyway, I think the more serious dangers in the U.S. is uh, hookworms and roundworms. So. The advice of University of California at Davis out of this research is don't let the dog into your Have bed. Have them sleep by on their, nearby on their own bed. Right. That's what they're right They also say don't let the dog lick an open wound. I've done that. That's so gross. be cool. You know? That's gross. And uh, by the way, no fleas, no ticks. That's how all the stuff gets to you is through the fleas hey, you and know the what? ticks. You know what? You can catch some pretty nasty things sleeping with humans too. So we, we all take risks, right? <laughs> we can see who the crazy advocate amongst us is. <laughs> Uh, our phone lines are open. I don't know how many people we're going to be able to get to because we have some tremendous guests. The number is 1-800-848-WABC. That's again, 1-800-848-9222. Give us a call. Tell us what's what's on your mind. Tell us about your pet. Tell us how many days the pet's been sleeping with, with you and, <laughs> and about the wounds and all sorts of fleas and stuff, okay? Tell us uh, whatever is on your mind. We'll see if we can put you on the air. Yeah, we have got great guests lined up to talk about today's topic. Uh, one of them who is actually going to uh, take the position for sure that uh, overpopulation and the surplus of pets is a myth. So uh, you have to hear his fascinating argument. He's very articulate, very intelligent man, and uh, you won't want to miss that. Well, listen, there are 8 million cats and dogs that enter the shelters in this country each year. Did you get that number, guys? 8 million go in the door. Right. About 6 million come out the door and 2 million go out the back door, meaning uh, the dead door. Well, 2, so million, two, million, two million dogs. If you put cats in there, too, we're talking probably about 4 million. Oh, 4 million. Okay, so are, 8 that, million that, cats and dogs go in. Half of them come out the front door. Half of them come out the back door. Roughly. Yeah. Roughly. These are all okay. estimates. All right. So keep those numbers in mind because we have some tremendous guests. And with that thought, let's cut off the commercial. And when we come back, we'll introduce our first guest. I'm Brenda Bush, co-founder of Dogs in Danger. For those of us who live with these special creatures, we understand that they're so much more than just dogs. They're faithful companions to the end. They remind us every day that life is precious and brief, full of fleeting joys and missed opportunities. Each year in this country, millions of homeless dogs are killed in shelters. There is a better way, and Dogs in Danger is working to get us there. It's the last chance for these dogs. Dogs in Danger makes it personal, with names and faces of dogs on death row and brings us all face-to-face with a painful reality. More than 45,000 dogs have been saved with the assistance of Dogs in Danger, but we still have a long way to go. So please, open your heart and wallet to one of the thousands of dogs waiting for a second chance at life. Visit DogsInDanger.com and click Donate to help us stop the needless killing of our best friends. Do it now, before they run out of time. 
The Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on 77 WABC. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. Hey, folks, we're back on the air. So we have Dory Violon from uh, Violon. Violon. I'm sorry, for <laughs> Violon <laughs> from Dory. American Humane that's supposed to be on the phone and we tr- from whom we did get confirmation yesterday. Yeah, I'm right? sure she'll be joining us any minute. You know what? It's real early out there. I think she's in Colorado. Oh, my God. So. So that's what it is. So yeah. uh, we're going to have to uh, talk about a couple of other subjects while we're waiting for Miss Vialone, for Dory, to join us. And I'm going to introduce Adam here in the studio with us, who's doing our call screen. Adam. Good are you, morning. Are you awake? Uh, I am awake, now that I've had my cup of coffee and a bagel. Yeah, you don't sound awake. <laughs> I'm trying to sound a little more perky. <laughs> like get a needle or something and prick yourself, you know, and then... Poor Adam, you want to talk about dogs, right? I love dogs. <laughs> And does does your dog sleep in your bed with you? That's what we want to know. I, yeah, she does. So there you go. Actually. She does it. sleep in the bed with you? She You're does. in that 50%. Um, yeah. Is there really something wrong with that? What Did you hear what the study from uh, – I mean, I did. Wait a minute. You know, the CDC, they sleeping? had other things here too to, to balance it out, right? They say that it actually does good things for you too. Lowers blood pressure. No, decreases petting, feelings of loneliness. Does that. And when it's yeah. zero degrees outside, they, they keep, keep you warm. warm. Yeah. Wait, wait. First thing I want to know. feet warmer. No, Adam, wait a second. First thing I want to know is how big is your dog? Uh, well, which dog? We have my mother's cocker oh, spaniel, and then my sister has a little pug, and then uh, I have a half lab, half pit. So you have three dogs? There's three dogs, yeah. And all three sleep in the bed with you? No. No, 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 no. <laughs> Two dogs in one house, another dog in another house. Okay, okay. So, so which is the one that sleeps with you? It depends on which house I'm sleeping in. <laughs> it's getting a little complicated now. You've got an answer for everything. The Last next night, time yeah. you say, Adam, you don't mind going on the air for a minute. I don't think he's going to go for that. <laughs> Last night it was the um, half pit, half lab, and she kept my feet extremely warm. So now, did you heard this study, right? From the University of California in Davis, you heard the study. Well, probably not until you brought it up. Okay, but you did hear the there was a, well. If let me just refresh for a second, okay? You see it in Davis did this study and and to find out uh, about exactly the effects of uh, pets sleeping with their owners. And what they found out was that um, there is a tremendous risk of diseases being passed from the pet to the owner. Okay, uh, they talked about all sorts of nasty stuff. Okay, but but in the U.S. around the world, it's really nasty stuff, including, by the way, leprosy. Leprosy. Can you believe that? I don't even think leprosy is still around. It's pretty scary stuff if you think about it. Exactly. So, but anyway, in the U.S., it's mostly about hookworms and and roundworms, and it happens because the the dogs have fleas and ticks, and cats have fleas and ticks. A, and they transfer onto you. They think. so the dogs aren't the problem. It's the fleas and ticks that are. The well, problem. that's one. But they also go further. They say that if you let the dog lick your open wound. Which I've done people, in the past. I've done that too. I hear their saliva yeah. is very medicinal. Right. That's what I thought. Apparently not. That's exactly what I thought. All this time I, I was going with that logic. You know that, And that's that, wrong? Apparently they're saying do not do it. That there is more of a chance that you're going to get sick from it than you're going to get cured. I should get a checkup, right? Yeah, just get some <laughs> antibiotic from CVS and leave that licking out of there. What's interesting is, you know, a couple of weeks ago, wintertime, I wake up with a, a bug bite. And I thought, it was, how could I get a mosquito bite? You mean a tick bite or a, a bug bite? And I, I did a little research and I, and I put two and two together and I realized that it's probably a flea from yeah. Oh, yeah. walking it's, it's the dog. Yeah, it's definitely. dog brings him back in the house. I sleep with the dog and I wake up with a flea bite. That's, that, it, it that's happened to me that's too. That's what now, they say. Now, wh- whereabouts do you live? I live in Queens. 
And do you go walking in the, the you know, in, in the parks and stuff yeah, like I, that? Yeah, I actually live right next to Forest Park. It's a very heavily wooded area, right, so there's right, a lot right. of insects out there, yeah. Yeah, because, it, you know, I, I lived in Manhattan for the longest time, and I had no fears of fleas, none, and it, nothing ever happened. Then I moved out to uh, Chappaqua, uh, which is further up north, and suddenly, lo and behold, the first year, boom, I look at myself one day in the morning, and there it is, you know, a, a tick bite. <laughs> And the next year, another tick bite. So these things are kind of scary. You know, you yeah, I didn't get... even know fleas could, fleas could bite. Oh, I mean, yeah. I know ticks could bite, but fleas could bite humans too. Oh, I mean, sure. oh absolutely. Yeah. Blood absolutely. is blood when you're a flea. Yeah, and didn't you have – Brenda, didn't you get uh, Lyme disease? Yeah, I got very sick. I got very sick uh, about 10 years ago from a tick bite. Yeah, they're nasty little critters they are. Yeah, you got yeah. Lyme disease or something, right? Yeah. 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 So, so what would be the best way to uh, defense against that? Just a flea collar or – no, I, uh, Brenda's got the stats on that. Well, you know what? They have preventatives. A lot of people use preventatives. Some people use some natural uh, ingredients, uh, natural uh, remedies, sprays and such. Try to keep the uh, pets off the uh, wooded areas in the prime season time, which is spring and fall. Yeah, the, the key is to keep the pets, uh, the the uh, the fleas off the pets. Once they get on there, well, we're talking ticks and fleas, right? Yeah, ticks I, I'm not so sure yeah. you can get them off so easily. I, I'm not. Do those collars work really? You're asking the wrong person. Yeah, I'm asking the wrong person. Well, I have my. I'm full of opinions, but you know. Well, really uh, thank know. you very much for that educational Thanks, Adam. moment, Adam. Anytime, you're a anytime. great villain. <laughs> thank you. Let's thank talk. You. Let's talk some numbers. We have some stats. Well, here. actually, let's Get. let's cut to our guest. Oh, our guest. Uh, yes, Dory Vialone uh, or Vialone is on the line, and without further ado, because we've eaten tremendously into her time, Dory, are you on the line with us? Hey, good morning. Yes. Good hey. morning, Dory. Are you Good still morning. sleeping? Thanks for having me on. Oh, Thanks please. for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for joining us in this very early. What time is it? At? You're in Colorado, correct? I am. And mm-hmm. uh, it's very early. I think in they're Mountain Time, Colorado. So that. But. It's uh, it's a little early, but you know what? My cats are so happy because they're like, "Hey, morning came early." <laughs> right. <laughs> we're, we're yeah. Right. Like my dogs, they're like, "Wow." Yeah. You know. So here's a, here's a question for yeah. you. Why did you go to sleep at all? Just stay up and party, <laughs> and right into the interview. <laughs> Yes, well, thanks for having me on, regardless of the time. <laughs> so we should say that uh, Dory is the um, Vice President Animal Protection at American Humane Association, a great organization dedicated to protect, protecting children and animals. Terrific organization. Absolutely look up to them. So, Dory, let me ask you a first question, okay? American Humane website states that about between 6 and 8 million dogs and cats enter shelters every year. Is that to you proof, absolute proof, that uh, that pet overpopulation is true here and it's not a myth. I'm sorry, is that is that true? Say, that, state that again. I'm, I'm it, 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 the, your website shows that 6 to 8 million dogs and cats enter shelters every year. Is uh-huh. that the absolute proof in your opinion right. that it, pet overpopulation is real? Surplus. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, absolutely. And the fact that, um, I mean, any, the fact that we still have Friendly, healthy animals and rehabilitatable animals being euthanized in shelters in the United States is proof that there is pet overpopulation. Absolutely. Do you have any idea how many people will be looking for new pets this year? Gosh, um, I don't know that number. No, I know that, you know, sadly we're still euthanizing four to six million animals in shelters. Now, you know, that's going to include the number of animals that... Animal shelters euthanize due to aggressive behavior, mm-hmm. um, non-rehabilitatable. 
someone told me recently that if every person in America right now adopted eight animals, we would um, we would pick up the surplus of friendly, healthy animals that need to be adopted. But that means we'd have to do that every year. So, so, you know, if we all did that this year, we'd all like, hey, right. we can do that. But unfortunately, next year there'll be that many more animals still to adopt. Wow. What about uh, American Humane is in favor of, obviously, of spay-neutering, okay, and adopting from yeah. shelters, of course. Do you mm-hmm. think that spay-neutering is the answer to the big problem? Do you think that'll fix it all? No, I don't. I think spay-neuter is a piece of the solution. Um, absolutely, we need to have affordable accessible sterilization available, but we also need to work on behavior so that animals are not surrendered into shelters for behavior issues that that really can be solved and can be worked with. Um, we need to um, deal with veterinary care and animals that are being surrendered to shelters because guardians either are unaware of the veterinary care their animal may need or cannot access affordable veterinary care. So it, um, animals being re- returned to their guardians, you know, stray animals coming into shelters that are displacing adoptable animals, and they and because and those animals should be going home and would be going home if they had um, an ID tag and a microchip. So I think there's many prongs to this issue. Well, you know what? I mean, it sounds like societal solutions as well as systemic solutions. I mean, it, it seems like a, the solution is a, is a very complex, multi-pronged approach. I mean, do you agree with that? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, you can't say it's just one thing. It's, it's not just puppy mills. It's not just bay and neuter. It's not, right. I think it's, it's, we really need to take a holistic approach to this problem, and, I, and we have. I think we really should give ourselves some credit. You know, of course, it's tragic, absolutely heartbreaking that there are still animals being euthanized in shelters across the country. But we have really made some great strides, and I want to applaud those people who have spayed and neutered, have adopted from a shelter, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. educate their neighbors on the importance of this. What, what, what piece do you think legislation plays in the puzzle? Well, I'm a real fan of state and local legislation. I think that if you go to each individual community and look at what they're dealing with and go into that community with some legislation that's going to resonate with the problem and with the people there, I think that's going to be your most effective. So some legislation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely part of some legislation. Without it, can you, can you accomplish this overpopulation issue, fix this pop- overpopulation issue without any legislation? No, I think I think legislation is part of the history of um, pet overpopulation control, um, animal control that laws that came up in the fifties mm-hmm. that um, started dog licensing that stopped animals from roaming at large. I think um, there's been some legislation at the core of dealing with this problem since the beginning. Right. Is there is there one source that you think if we could magically change it or shut it off would eliminate the homeless pet problem? One source. I no. I don't think so. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've been in. I've been across the country working in shelters, directing shelters that are open door, that are limited admission, high volume, animal control, um, and 
animals come in that door from many different sources. Um, There's landlords that won't allow animals that people have to then give up. There's um, backyard breeders. There's that, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize my cat could get uh, pregnant at five months. Um, veterinarians sometimes are, can be misguided and, and telling people to, you know, wait till that first heat. That still happens. Um, well, of course, we can't discount the good old puppy mills that are out there providing us with animals. So, no, I don't think there's just one source. Let me ask you this question, Dory. How much of the fault you think lies with shelter directors? I mean, after all, those are the the generals, sort of of the of the local armies. Okay, so uh, when the shel- when the pets are turned into the shelter directors, at that point, it's their decision whether how they market the dog, if what they do with the dog's if life, if they market, if the they dog. market the dog, they mm-hmm. kill the dog, whatever they do, they keep him forever, whatever they want to do, they they become the generals of the dog's life. Um, how much of the fault lies with them that we still today in 2011 will be, uh, you know? euthanizing 4 million dogs and cats. Well, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could point the finger at every shelter director in the country and say you're the reason that there's, you know, you're you're the problem? But just as I've noted, there's many different Mm -hmm. factors that go into the fact that we have pet overpopulation. So it just isn't that simple. I think that anyone who takes on the role of a shelter director absolutely has the responsibility to make sure that they have a good strategic plan, that they are looking to reduce euthanasia, to increase rehabilitation, to use every resource that they can to find new resources. If they're a nonprofit director, to make sure that they have a good board of directors behind them mm-hmm. with, um, with strong uh, fiduciary responsibility and a strong commitment to their mission. But I, I think it's unfair to simply just point the finger and say shelter directors are the problem. I've been a shelter director. Mm-hmm. I, I, I admire so many shelter directors out there. I have met people who are working so hard in states where they have, they're challenged with every turn from political to financial, and yet they are doing absolutely they, whatever they can to save animals. Mm-hmm. So I tend to feel that, you know, anybody who gets into this business, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. We are right. all trying to do the same thing. Right. So let, let me give you, let me put the uh, the big question then. Uh, re- staying on the t- subject of short short uh, I'm sorry, shelter directors. If you had to rate, you had to give a number to what you think the the quality of the shelter directors out there in the U.S. and you had to do an average number from zero being the worst to ten being absolute brilliant geniuses. Where would you rate them? Gosh, you know there's. Five, I think an estimated five thousand animal shelters yeah, throughout yeah, yeah, yeah. the United States right now. I'm, I, I don't think that's a fair question. I, I can't. I should not. I would not want to just um, put a broad stroke across the entire. Well, shelter why, why, why would why would it be any different than the, the uh, And I'm this this question's for Alex. <laughs> why would it be any different than the general population of some being ones and some being tens? Well, no, clearly, but there is a median, right? You look for medians and when you have large right. numbers of anything, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you say there's 70 million taxpayers in the U.S., what's the average tax well, paid? Well, I'm quite certain you know, our next guest will have an opinion on that issue. So uh, so, uh, so we, we can talk more about that. Then. No, I had one more thing for Dory. Do we have time? Um, not really. Not How about? Really. Oh. Too bad. <laughs> but Sorry, Dory. Dory. 
I'll have call to you after the show. <laughs> <laughs> I got. You know what? I'm willing to get up at 4:20 anytime you guys want. So just give me a call. Thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And we'll Absolutely. be we'll, we'll be calling you every week at 4:20 to make sure that you're sticking by that promise. Awesome. <laughs> Take care. We look forward to having you back. Thank you, Dory. Thanks, Dory. Thanks for all you do. Thank Bye-bye. you again. When we first started thinking about dogs in danger, we had one overriding thought. Millions of innocent dogs were being killed in shelters each year in this country. And we realized there was no way for the public to know which dogs were going to die and when. That's when the light bulb went on. So we created DogsIndanger.com, where every dog gets a last chance at life. The good public embraced the idea, and more than 45,000 dogs are alive today, bringing joy to families everywhere. In today's economy, it's hard for anyone to part with their money. But Dogs in Danger needs your help to keep saving lives. If you believe, like we do, that needless killing is morally wrong, then do something about it. Please go to dogsindanger.com and make a tax-deductible donation. Just $18 a month will help us continue our life-saving mission. Donate to dogsindanger.com and do something good for your soul. Gain a body, save a life. Dogsindanger.com Hey, we're Montgomery Gentry, and we'd like to tell you about the Bureau of Land Management's Adopt-A-Horse or Burrow program. America's wild horses and burrows are often called living legends of the Old West. Thousands of wild horses and burrow are overpopulating the western rangelands, and we need your help. For a minimum of $125, you can adopt one of these remarkable animals. Don't miss this opportunity to adopt a living symbol of the Old West. If you love animals and are willing to provide a good home to a very trainable Mustang or burrow, call Adopt-A-Horse Program toll-free at 866-4-MUSTANGS or browse BLM's website at www.blm.gov WHB. Have a heart and bring home a piece of the Old West. Throw your dog a bone. Let him listen to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on 77 WABC. Back to Alex and Brenda. Well, we're back on the air, and uh, I'm going to be introducing our next guest. But before that, I think I'm going to adopt one of those uh, Mustang Sallies that they talked about. (laughs) (laughs) You've got your hands full with dogs. I think think you're right. And without further ado, I'm going to switch to our next guest. Um, Nathan Winograd is an attorney. He's founder of the director of No Kill Advocacy Center. He's an author of several books, and uh, we just basically call him a general all-round big brain in this business. So, Mr. Big Brain, are you on? Uh, I'm on. I don't know how big a brain I'll have at 3.30 in the morning here, but uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> good morning, Nathan. Good so morning. what time did you wake up, Nathan? Oh, good middle of the night, Nathan. Thanks uh, for joining us. I woke us. up at 3 a.m., but, you know, when I have to wake up this early, I don't really ever get to sleep. I'm constantly looking over to see how much time I have left. Yeah, I, that, I'm burdened with that, too, which means I usually get up about 1 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Nathan. Come clean. You're a party animal. We know it. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Nathan, I'm going to start um, our interview by asking you the same question that I asked Dory and the last uh, last question that I asked Dory, which was if you had to give an, a medium, median rating to shelter directors in the U.S., uh, from zero being worth a complete dummy to 10 being a genius, where would you rate them? Well, uh, it's a good uh, question, Alex, and it's I would rate them the same way we would rate – uh, people in any industry, and that is based on their performance. 
Um, if we had, you know, how do we rate the CEO that drove companies like AIG into the ground? Mm-hmm. We don't rate them very highly because, uh, you know, they were given a job to do and they failed to do it. And I think there's no reason uh, we shouldn't do the same for people whose job it is to save the lives of animals. We also have a bottom line the way uh, corporations have a bottom line. The difference is uh, our bottom line is saving lives, and so it's, it's much more uh, valuable and much more uh, important, uh, particularly for the lives of the animals. So if I were to look at a shelter director, say, uh, you know, Bonnie Brown or Mitch Schneider in Reno, Nevada, who are taking in seven times the number of animals than per capita than they are in New York City, but saving 91%, I would give them an A. I would give them uh, a very high grade. If I were to look at a shelter director, say, in Dallas, Texas, uh, who is uh, uh, taking in the same number of animals uh, as Austin, Texas, down the street, but whereas Austin is saving 88% of the animals, they're only saving uh, 27% of the animals, so putting 7 out of 10 to the, of them to death, I would give them an F, and I think that's uh, so, what we, we have to uh, do is, uh, in order to be fair uh, is to judge them on those performance. So you have an industry in sheltering where shelter directors, on average, fail 50% of the time, sometimes as high as 80% of the time, and sometimes as high as 90% of the time, and they should be judged accordingly. So you're yeah. saying it's not really not really an issue of the numbers coming into the shelters, as many people would believe that it is? Well, uh, I think that's absolutely uh, correct, Brenda. You know, I, I was listening to your last guest, and she made the statement that, you know, in, in the American Humane Association's uh, view, uh, the fact that six to eight million animals are coming into shelters every year and half of them are being killed is proof positive uh, that there is an overpopulation problem, and therefore shelter directors have no choice uh, but to kill. But uh, you asked uh, Alex the follow-up question, well, how many people are looking for animals? And the answer was, I don't know. And I think uh, that is really the million-dollar question here, uh, because if there are more people looking to adopt uh, animals than there are animals uh, being killed, uh, that would tell you that there's no pet overpopulation. And the good news is that's the case. And, and in fact, it's, it's not even close. Uh, you know, as she said herself, uh, roughly half of the animals are being killed uh, every year, but not all of those are savable. Some of them are hopelessly ill or injured. Uh, some of them are irremediably suffering. And, you, you know, tragically at this time in history, uh, some of them are truly mm-hmm. vicious dogs with a poor prognosis for being rehabilitated. Uh, but when you look at just those animals uh, being killed but for a home, the number is about 3 million. And yet every year in the United States, about 23 million Americans are looking to bring a new animal into their home. And, and basically what that means is if we just convince uh, a small percentage of those, a small percentage... To adopt from a shelter from instead. Shelter, right. Yeah, we'd mm-hmm. zero out the killing. And, and, and let me put it this way. Uh, if 80% of people who are going to get a new dog or cat this year get that dog or cat from somewhere other than the shelter we could still zero out the killing. So we don't have a pet overpopulation problem. We have a market share problem. Yeah, but Nathan, in all honesty, this is still happening. The killing is still going on. And I I absolutely agree with you that if we could somehow magically switch the population's perspective, things would change. But you are an advocate that it's the shelter management system that's the key, the the pivot of why the, the, the entire system is collapsing on itself. And then you're an advocate that better shelter management society can absorb all of the dogs that we produce. 
Is that logical? Well, well, it's logical if you look at the data. Uh, it's logical if you look at the experience of communities uh, who have replaced their shelter management with those up to the task. It's logical <coughs> if you uh, if you uh, look at the excuses that are being offered for for those communities that are failing. You, you know, let's take uh, you know we we talked a little bit about the data. Let's take the experience. How is it that some communities that have been killing for the last 20 years under one director and have been telling their community, you know, we have no choice because of pet overpopulation, how is it possible if, if pet overpopulation was real that they could, uh, it, once that director leaves, retires, resigns, is fired, however they leave, once that director le- leaves and a new director comes in, that they could achieve no kill virtually overnight. And it's not just, uh, you know, one community that has done that. We now have that situation. No kill communities, uh, not only across the United States, but across the world. We have no kill communities in New York and California, in Virginia and Michigan, in Utah and Indiana, in Kentucky and Nevada and across the globe. And, and what makes these uh, experiences uh, so important for the, for the dialogue, for the discussion, is that they too at one time were killing an inordinate amount of animals. They were as regressive as those communities that are killing now. And the only difference between their current success and past failure is what happened after the new shelter director came on board and put in place the programs and services that make life-saving possible. You, You know, when you suggest that killing is not the fault of the shelter. You ignore the role that programs and accountability and even caring within the shelter plays. You ignore the adequacy for a given human and animal population, just how many cages or kennels they allocate, the budget of the organization. Uh, and those kinds of factors, I would argue to you, have more a direct impact on life-saving than any perceived notion of pet overpopulation. And can we but, just but, clarify, when you say New York, you're not referring to New York City. Oh, I'm not. In fact, <laughs> that's a great example. No, I'm referring to uh, upstate New York about four hours away in Tompkins County. Right. I mean, let's look at New York City. I mean, I, I think you guys would agree with me that, uh, you, you know, legally they're supposed to have a shelter in every borough, but they don't. That's right. Uh, their budget is abysmal. They don't nearly have enough cages and kennels given the fact that they're in the city with, you know, the largest city in the United States uh, and uh, the uh, accountability but, but, but uh, Nathan, of their programs isn't nearly what it should be. I, I totally agree with, with your perspective. However, you just leave something out of it that has always bothered me. Um, the issue is the supply side to me also. I mean, I understand the issue with what happens inside the shelter. Okay, we've talked about that. But what about the supply side? How can you eradicate this problem if no one looks at the supply side, the production side of the number of dogs? Uh, well, I think we, we've done that. Look, uh, Alex, I, I'm not suggesting it wouldn't be better that if there weren't uh, fewer animals in, uh, entering the shelter. Uh, I, I think uh, it would be. Uh, well, the only thing I, I believe, and I think what the data and the experience shows, is that the story of the 8 million animals entering shelters doesn't need to be a tragedy. Um, I don't, that doesn't mean we shouldn't close down puppy mills. That doesn't mean spay-neuter mm-hmm. is not important. All those things are. Uh, all, all it means is that given the fact that there are more people looking to adopt animals than there are animals going into the shelter. Right. Uh, and the fact that that has proved successful across the country, then we need to be looking at other reasons for ending the killing rather than this phantom of pet overpopulation. Uh, and, and looking at the supply side, I'm, I don't want to ignore your question. I mean, looking at the supply side, 
Uh, right now, as I said, there are four million animals being killed uh, in shelters every year. But they're not being killed. Not all of those animals are being killed because they don't have a new home. Space, yeah. Uh, some shelters do a lousy job of returning lost animals uh, to the families looking for right, them. Right. Well, in it, fact, right here in New York, they just continued the lost and found system Right, they as part of the budget cuts. Yeah. Right, so that doesn't mean those animals are homeless. It means the city essentially doesn't value getting those animals home and more animals are going to get lost in the system. Some of the cats are feral. They don't need new homes. They need spay neuter uh, and to be re-released back to their habitat. When you factor all that in, you actually get lower to about two million on the low end and three million on the high end uh, who need a new home. These are animals right. who have been surrendered uh, mm-hmm. by the families that no longer want them. How is that even close? compared to the 23 million that are going to get uh, a new animal, uh, a new dog or cat this year. In fact, if you look at the experience of the best-performing communities in the country, how many animals they're adopting out per capita, shelters in the United States should be able to adopt about 9 million animals a year. Mm -hmm. And that is more than total impounds, and uh, over half of the ones that are entering the shelter don't need a new home. Mm No, so you're you're saying it's basically a, a a change in focus of our society. Yeah, and, I mean, and yes, absolutely. everything else is in place, and you're uh, saying when, that. The- yes, and but but again, uh, I'm not saying that that it wouldn't be great if we can get that number down even more. Uh, yeah, through the supply of, control. Yeah, absolutely. Through, yeah, uh, but but all I, I'm saying to you is that it's not hopeless. It's not impossible. Uh, we can do a much better job. The rest of the country can be saving 91, 92, 93, 95, in some places 96, 97 percent uh, of all the animals. And we know they can do that because there are communities that are doing that right now. And the beauty there is that the communities that are, being, uh, that are successful, they have nothing in common demographically. You know, some of them are urban and some rural, some in the north, some in the south, some in politically liberal communities, some in politically conservative communities. The only thing they have in common is they have a shelter director who does not hide behind this myth of pet overpopulation, a shelter director that is putting in place the programs and services uh, that save lives, and a team with a can-do attitude that values being held accountable for their actions the way uh, most industries and and, uh, most areas of of our society do. Well, well, Nathan, as the resident big brain uh, of the team here, hey. I'm going to have to ask you to. Well, sorry, <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to ask you the thirty-five thousand question. <laughs> so, in the middle of the, you know, we have ten percent unemployment. You know, huge, tremendous loss of wealth through the, the economic crisis, housing values, hosts of serious economic problems that are afflicting the, the nation. Why is pet overpopulation in, as a problem important to our society? Why should we focus on something like this? Um, well, I, you, you know, like I, I believe that there's no limits to human compassion, and there are some people who say, um, you know, I'm going to focus on uh, feeding the homeless, and some people who uh, who say, you know, well, I'm going to use my ph- philanthropy to improve the arts so that our society can be uh, culturally rich and we can be more than you know, waking up and working and eating and sleeping. Uh, and some people say, uh, who, who say, I'm going to use my time and my philanthropy and, and, and even society that we're also going to improve uh, the plight of uh, dogs and cats and other animals uh, in our society. And I think all of that makes living in this society uh, not just uh, tolerable or bearable, it makes it uh, worthy. Well, wait a second. You, you just put 
you just put pets and pet overpopulation issues on the same line as priorities as, for example, homelessness, uh, medicine research, child, uh, children's, you know, r- relationships. I mean, you put them on the same importance line. Why did you do that? Well, it, look, uh, I think we all have our own calculations. Uh, you know, I, in, in my former life, I was a criminal prosecutor, and uh, I spent my time uh, trying to protect victims of crime. That is incredibly valuable, and I felt uh, very good about doing that. I felt I was uh, improving and making society a better place to live in and raise a family and, and live and breathe and die and work. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I now feel that uh, my time is best used saving the lives of animals, and we all have uh, our own internal calculations of, of where, you know, we have one life, and where we choose to put our focus and our energy should be up to each and every one of us, and my hope is that each and every one of us would, will find some area we're passionate about, uh, and if we all did that, and if we were all free to do that without somebody else condemning us, saying, well, you, you know, we should all be working on this one issue, uh, I think we have a very diverse, rich, and, and, and beautiful, potentially beautiful society uh, in which to live. And uh, when our time here on Earth is done, uh, we can all look back and be proud of the pieces that we brought to bear uh, to make a greater whole. And if you one's know, a compassionate person, we're not, these are not mutually excu- exclusive. Right. You, you know why I went down this line of yeah, questioning, no, no, Nathan, I right? Know. Yeah, Alex, that's what people say all the time. That's what people right. say. All they the write time. to us. They write to us and say, "Why are you wasting your time on dogs?" I mean, not <laughs> the majority of people, I mean, but we do the get typical those people. thing is, right. "Why are you wasting your time and your money in Dubai, when there's you know? yeah, when there's children that are starving?" Well, you know, you know, if you were to turn around and say, "Why did you buy that new couch or that BMW when the old one was perfectly adequate and where there's children starving?" Uh, you know, there would be a dead silence because nobody questions the fact uh, that, that uh, you know, we have the right to make our own choices with our own money, as, right. uh, you know, hopefully as long as it doesn't impact negatively, uh, you know, other people. But when we say, well, I'm going to forego that couch or the new car and I'm going to use the money to, you know, fund the local rescue group or the local no-kill shelter, uh, all of a sudden people all say, of a sudden, well, yeah. and that's why many area. of the animal advocates in the world are not wealthy individuals but, but because they're giving the, it all to the animals. Well, well, I'll tell you, Brenda, the people who say that are out of touch with American sentiment because right now giving to animal-related causes is the fastest-growing segment in American I planet. totally agree with you. Uh, yeah. Because people love animals. And right. so, you know, my feeling is if we all uh, bring to bear our passions to improve society in whatever areas we deem important, uh, then when we look at the collective whole, all those efforts, like I said, will create a very uh, robust and diverse and rich and beautiful beautiful uh, society uh, to live, breathe, work, play, and die. And well, you know what? It's, 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 it is a beautiful time to be alive in some sense because I, I completely agree with you that this uh, – well, not the worldwide sentiment, really, especially in, in Britain and the United States, worldwide sentiment has definitely shifting more and right. more toward the softer issues, so the, you know, what are considered the softer issues such as animal rights and things like that that have always been the last – consideration, you know, with hunger on the top and disease on the top and economic, well, blah, blah, blah. You know, the dogs were at the, you know, the line of the dogs. And the public, the public sentiment and public will for no kill is really, truly arrived. Well, I mean, tell us the number just before we get off the air here, Nathan, tell us the number. I mean, what was the kill ratio 10 years ago? How many dogs and cats were killed 10 years ago versus now? 
You know, we've come a long way. Uh, you know, back in the 1970s, we were killing somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 million animals, and uh, now we're at 4 million on the high end. And if we just look at those animals who are being killed but for a home, you're talking about 2 to 3 million animals. And so we are well on our way to uh, ending the killing of, of those animals who are medically and, beha- and uh, aggress- you know, you know, non-aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so that, that is the good news. Uh, but, uh, you know, we still have some ways to go and we're doing better in some communities better than others so that, so that's why our focus here at the no-kill advocacy center is to hold those poorly performing communities accountable by looking at the best performing communities and say uh you know you should do as, as well as them and if everyone did that if everyone put in place those programs and services we'd be a no-kill nation today and that's news we should all celebrate and work very hard uh and strive toward well, you know what? The good news, Nathan, is that a lot more people are considering this an important enough issue to get involved, to vote, you know, to give an ear. Um, whereas I think 10 years ago, um, no one would listen to these arguments. They would just, you know, I mean, I remember your we presentation. We certainly wouldn't be on WABC. That's yeah, sure. I, I remember <laughs> the first time I met you, I was at a presentation you were giving, and um, you were talking about the history of um, of killing in the animal shelters. And you showed a slide of, in New York City's animal system, how they killed the dogs back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And it was a slide of, um, of a bunch of guys on a boat. And, um, they, and you mentioned that the way they killed the animals in those days was they took the, the dogs out into the Hudson River or the East River. They threw the dogs overboard. And then a guy would stand there with a big baseball bat. Club and as the dogs death. came up for air, they would club them to death. And you had the slide up there. I, I remember the slide specifically. And I sat there stupefied looking at the slide and going, is that a human being doing that? Or is that some alien that landed here? We've certainly come a long way, and really what, you know, right now, uh, Americans really, truly cherish and love their dogs and cats. That doesn't mean that there aren't some people who are irresponsible, but we're spending $50 billion a year on their care. Uh, we, we are giving hundreds of millions of dollars more to animal-related charities in need. Really, we need shelters and shelter directors that reflect rather than hinder those values. And, and you know, you've got to be disappointed when you hear, uh, you know, the policymakers in New York City say, we're going to cut uh, the program to uh, get lost dogs uh, back to their families. How about or, the general telephone number for the public? That's Right, or to... we're going to get yeah. rid of uh, phone numbers, make it more difficult yeah. to reach the shelter. We're not going to meet our so legal it's, it's so sad. I it's mean, so disappointing. It, it really is out of touch with American sentiment. And uh, if we give the public the opportunity to hold those uh, uh, policymakers accountable, we will sweep them aside the way we swept aside those 19th century, uh, you know, dog slayers that you just talked about, Alex. You got it, buddy. We're going to have to get off the air right now because we're running out of time dramatically here, Nathan. Thank you very much for being on the air. Thank you for waking up so early in the morning. Thanks for joining us, Nathan. Always my pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll be, we'll be right back. I'm Brenda Bush, co-founder of Dogs in Danger. For those of us who live with these special creatures, we understand that they're so much more than just dogs. They're faithful companions to the end. They remind us every day that life is precious and brief, full of fleeting joys and missed opportunities. Each year in this country, millions of homeless dogs are killed in shelters. There is a better way, and Dogs in Danger is working to get us there. It's the last chance for these dogs. Dogs in Danger makes it personal, with names and faces of dogs on death row, and brings us all face-to-face with a painful reality. More than 45,000 dogs have been saved with the assistance of Dogs in Danger, but we still have a long way to go. So please, open your heart and wallet to one of the thousands of dogs waiting for a second chance at life. 
Visit dogsindanger.com and click donate to help us stop the needless killing of our best friends. Do it now before they run out of time. Hey, and that hour just flew by. It always right? does. Yeah, it always does. It and always it's does. Uh, just could, a couple of minutes to seven. We could talk about these issues all day long. Yeah, In fact, great we do. Guests. We just bring the dinner conversation to the radio. That's yeah, all. There you go. Um, uh, every week uh, on the uh, radio show, we're going to feature one dog from the Dogs in Danger website. I wish that we could feature them all, but we just can't. Um, we pick one each week, or sometimes uh, people help us pick them. And uh, this week is Max at the Belmont County Animal Shelter in St. Clairsville, Ohio. And yes, the dogs we talk about are all across the country. Uh, St. Clairsville, Ohio, they do out-of-state adoptions. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so... Um, the phone number for the shelter is 740-695-4708. It's on our um, website on the, the Radio Hour page. Uh, Max is a young male black lab retriever um, mix, and he's uh, he's beautiful. You got you know the eyes in these Let photos make all the difference. Let and um, well, I can't read the description if you take the paper. Yeah, I just want to look at um, this gorgeous dog. But uh, his photo is up on the website, too. And Max says, hello, I'm a really sweet lab shepherd mix who's around eight months old. I came to the shelter as a stray. I'm fun-loving and enjoy the company of people. I would make an excellent companion and the best friend you ever had. And here's the really big news about Max. Max can talk. Max can talk. <laughs> Did you just hear what Max said? <laughs> and for those who don't know, black dogs uh, are, are killed at horrifying rates in shelters, and they're often the last to get adopted, if at all. And... Um, uh, Max is a great dog. He's got a great face. Young dog looks very friendly. And so let's see if we can uh, find a home for Max. Yeah. Every time we've put up one of the dogs on the radio hour, the dog has gotten adopted. Just about every time. Yeah. yeah. So let's so make sure we, keep, make sure that we keep that going. record going. Ohio's you know? not that far away, folks. Yeah. And they'll, they'll ship the dog over, you know. Well, it's not like Private UPS. Plane How service? about you just get in the car and go get him? <laughs> you can do that now. Too. <laughs> you can do that. There's, there's a lot of ways you can get it. All kidding aside, Dogs are shipped all over this country, including my own they that are. flew in from California. So it don't don't well, let that be a deterrence. Well, that's not how you got him. That's just how you got him back. That's right. All. That's, that's another story. That's another story. <clears throat> we'll talk about the U.S. divorce laws anytime you want to. Are we doing a show put on a that? Drink in me after a drink or before a drink? I think mimosa is all you can have at this hour. <laughs> let me. Tell you. Might take a few. <laughs> don't put a drink in me and get that <laughs> subject going. Okay, that is not the subject. Trust me, folks. You do not want to talk divorce on dogs in danger. <laughs> so anyway, so we're out of the hour. What's the What's the show next week, Brenda? Next week we have, for Pitt's sake, the sadness of being born a pit bull, and boy, is that uh, a hot topic across the country. And uh, we're going to have a, a real good discussion on it next yeah, week. Yeah, we're going to we're going to talk about what's happening with pit bulls. And you know what? I'm just going to give you a little teaser here, and this is off the top of my head. I don't have notes on this. Be scared. But I think something like seventy percent of, of the dogs that are in the shelters in the U.S. are pit bull or pit bull variant, and many of them misidentified. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? The breed misidentified. You mean they're not pit bulls? Yeah. I tell you, one of the things we're going to put on the website for next week for sure is we're going to put a, a, a listing of dogs. Uh, there's a great website that uh, you know says, you know, can you pick the pit bull out of this? First of all, what is a pit bull? We're That's going to talk a about cool. that. Let's do that as a game. Yeah, we'll do it as a game. Okay, we'll put it up on the website or on Facebook. It's not as easy as you think. Yeah. With a lot that of thought, I hear the music in the headphones, so we're going to say uh, goodbye. Go get breakfast. You guys can go back to sleep. Take the dogs out. Take the dog out of the bed. Remember, <laughs> take it out of the bed. And uh, we will see you one week from today. Thanks for joining us. This is Alex Alexanian. And Brenda Bush. We'll see you next week.